Welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration Pack. I'm Doug Truex, founder and president of Restoration Pack. Today we are blessed to have a first-time guest who needs no introduction to most of you. He's Mark Morano, the climate skeptic the left loves to hate. Mark is a virtual machine gun of facts and figures that disprove and discredit the global warming premise that dominates the national discourse. Few people in America know more about this topic. All right, welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you very much, happy to be here. All right, so to, to back up a little bit on, as far as your career goes, you weren't always in this place. You were probably more a little mainstream Republican. It wasn't quite your forte. You did some research on the whole piece and then you kinda had these realizations and it, it, it brought you to where you are now. So talk, the, uh, talk our audience through how that happened with you. Well, when, you know, during my, you know, I've always considered myself a Republican, except when it came to environmental issues. I was a volunteer in Reagan's campaigns for presidency. I actually did his sound bites to local radio stations. That was one of my uh, duties as a Reagan volunteer. But I never liked his environmental policies. I got caught up in National Geographic pop culture. I got caught up in Hollywood presentation and the news media you know, about, you know, the, the logging of the forest roads and the interior secretary. And I don't, you know, I, I, there was always environmental concerns, but generally the wealthier the country, the less environmental problems you're going to have. You're gonna have better technology, better planning, better resources, better methods, whether it's forestry, whether it's cleanup, whether it's, you know, so if you look around the world, the cleanest places tend to be the wealthiest. So I had my epiphany during the Rio Earth Summit of all times uh, when, it was Dixie Lee Ray, nuclear engineer, who was talking about the Amazon rainforest, which was what I was always concerned about, and the deforestation in general, because I wanted to be a forest ranger. She was talking about it being the most intact forest and how this was hype and hysteria. Well, I said, whoa, that can't, so I started looking into that. I didn't believe it. It ended up culminating many years later with me doing an Amazon rainforest documentary, clear-cutting the myths, where I, and I even have environmentalists in the film throwing their books down, the guidebooks, saying, this is nonsense, this is BS, bleeping and cursing because it was all environmental exaggeration, either for fundraising or just to create alarm or to create a, a narrative that didn't exist. And it turns out for every acre of rainforest cut, 50 are being regenerated. It was the most intact forest. Even the New York Times admits this. New forestry techniques, they all come back. So there's so much hopeful news in the environment, whether it's species. Since the first Earth Day, 1970, we've radically cleaned our air and water, while at the same time increasing huge amounts of population and economic growth. We, when you have money, and you're prospering, you can actually do amazing things for the environment. It's the poor countries that have the problem. So that was sort of my, in a nutshell, my evolution. And once I realized that I'd been essentially lied to about the Amazon and deforestation, by the time climate change came around, I was pretty skeptical in the late 90s, just because of my previous experience. And I started covering environment uh, as an investigative journalist. And that's, uh, I did a lot of uh, 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 TV documentaries on it and also, ended up working at the U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee and then founded Climate Depot, which is where I am today. Gotcha, gotcha. The truth sets you free. It was great. So, <laughs> yeah. so to just give our audience in a nutshell, then, you know, why is the left wrong about this global warming thing? Very good question. Well, they'll say climate change is real. Well, what does that mean? The earth is warming. Okay, well, let's look at that. Geologically first, we are in the 10% coldest period in the Earth's history. In other words, 90% of Earth's past history was too warm for ice at either pole. That's point one. More recently, you look at the, since the Roman warming period about zero AD, and I include this in both my book, Green Fraud and the Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change. We have probably at the same temperature or most likely have cooled 
since the medieval uh, Roman warming period. And the same goes true for the medieval warming period from about 900 to 1300 AD. We've either cooled or been at the same temperature. So when people say, well, we've increased, well, what's your baseline? If you go to 1850, when thermometers came online in all our major US cities, US has the best thermometer network, we have absolutely warmed because that was the height of what's called the Little Ice Age, where New York Harbor was frozen over, the Thames River, uh, we had crop failures. It was a you know, very cold period in our history. Then if you go forward, you look at the 1930s, we had the most still on record, even according to Biden's EPA, they have the chart, heat waves about 10 times higher than any heat waves we've experienced in all the major US cities in the United States. So here's the kicker, we have warmed, and they always use the Arctic as an example. When we started monitoring the sea ice in 1979, that was the height of the global cooling scare, the coming ice age. So yes, we have warmed since the 1970s, uh, we've definitely warmed since the end of the Little Ice Age in 1850, but have we warmed since the medieval warm period? Have we warmed since the Roman warming period of zero AD? I don't think so. And the gist of this is carbon dioxide can warm the atmosphere, but humans can also create aerosols from fossil fuels, dim the sun, and create uh, man-made global cooling, which is what the scare was in the 1970s. Hundreds of factors influence our climate. It is not just CO2. CO2 is now is the preferred uh, boogeyman because it's the way to regulate every aspect of our life. And that's where this goes from science to politics. Yeah. And that's the end goal, right? Yeah. And so yes. this is a, so this is kind of this uh, uh, front edge propaganda war on that point you're just making about where they're trying to take this is this is the terminology on this as far as climate change. And you're very precise in what you say. Uh, you say is, is man-made global warming a thing, right? You're very precise in that. And yes. so what's your take though? I mean, I think we should all be talking that way. I mean, it, it, you, you see this, right, as the left is, they get everybody to start saying what they want them to say, and then you end up playing their game. And don't you think, as conservatives too, we should all be more careful about how we talk about this in general to begin with? Yes, I mean, there's the, the problem, I think, with the Republican Party, I don't know about conservatives, but you know, you have house leadership, they'll, they'll use words like, they'll, they'll concede global warming is a problem, climate change, and we, and we need to have a solution. And their solution turns into a Green New Deal light. Mankind, as I said, contributes to, to warming, but there's also a lot of other factors involved. So here's the basic gist. You can't really distinguish mankind's influence on the climate from natural variability. And what I mean by that is, whether you're talking temperature, and by the way, hottest year on record is within tenths to one hundredths of a degree in the record, it's within the margin of error, it's within the adjustment margins, it's a fancy way of saying the temperature hasn't changed much over the last 10 to 15 years. And we actually have had no warming in absolute terms since about 2016 or so, according to the satellite data during the last peak. So this always becomes inconvenient, and when that happens, when current reality fails to alarm, they make scarier and scarier predictions of the future. So what I think Republicans and conservatives it's, it's a really is a language game. I hate to see, I cringe when I hear Republicans say, yes, climate change is real. That's a meaningless phrase. You know, the idea mm -hmm. is, is mankind driving a climate crisis? Are we driving a climate emergency? That's the whole gist of what the United Nations is pushing, what academia, the media, uh, the Biden administration. And that's where the focus should be, not this esoteric scientific debate of how much can man's impact be? Is it 10, 20? Point is, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, wildfires, no trend or declining trend on 50 to 100 year time scales. This is the reality. Sea level, not accelerating. This is a former Obama administration energy official came out and said, we've had no acceleration in sea level since the 1920s. Basically, it's, if you go by the tide gauges, 
what they do is they switch it, switch methods, and they have new methods, and then they add adjustments, and they can come up with these claims that sea level is accelerating and the islands will be underwater. Well, the islands that they claim are going underwater are still building airports on the sea, on their coastlines, and they're still doing uh, tourism and everything else. So it's just not showing up. And you know, it's about the thickness of a nickel every year, the sea level rise. And it's been rising for the last 10,000 plus years since the end of the last ice age. Republicans need a message to answer more directly, a message of regardless of your view on climate, this is our way forward. And the way forward has to be prosperity, economic growth, and all forms of energy, particularly fossil fuels, because fossil fuels give you a cleaner environment and give you better technology. You look at coal plants from 30, 40 years ago, and then you compare them to modern coal plants, we've radically reduced pollutants, and if you care about it, CO2. Our switch to fracking, the most innovative technology in the last 10 years, the United States has led the world in reducing CO2 emissions. Led the world in reducing them, as China and India have skyrocketed. Of course, the left and Democrats love to praise China for their climate commitments. Well, their climate commitments include building one coal plant a week. So Republicans have this issue all wrong. They should define the scientific terms and they should define the proper energy terms. Instead, they end up capitulating. And that's where we have a whole group now of these particularly young Republicans who are looking for climate solutions. And it's just, it's a disaster because they're wrong. They're, they're buying into this idea that we can legislate a better climate. There is no cost-benefit analysis of hurting us economically. And John Kerry's admitted it. We could zero out the United States and all of Europe and all of Canada and all of the industrialized West, including Australia and other places, and it would have no impact on emissions, let alone the climate, even if you believe the emissions drive climate change. Because the developing world is developing so rapidly. And then, of course, well, how can we stop them if we want to reduce emissions? You'd have to literally stop one billion people from leave exiting poverty. And that's the thing. You cannot exit poverty and put in infrastructure and development with solar and wind panels. It's not happening. The technology is not there. 100 years ago, 80% of our energy is fossil fuel. Currently, 80% of our energy is fossil fuel. Not much has changed except a lot of promises from the solar and wind industry that have been going on. Actually, in my book, Green Fraud, I go back almost 100 years and show you solar and wind just around the corner. They're always waiting for that breakthrough that's going to make it. And I'm not against solar and wind mm -hmm. per se, but you don't mandate an energy that can't take over and ban an energy that's proven itself fossil fuels. That's right. And it's all, it all feels like so much hypocrisy and just, you know, I remember when Obama bought that mansion on the shore. Right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, well, hold on a second. Weren't you the guy that said that everything's going to, you know, turn into a disaster. And I feel like it's like a building credibility problem for them because the more we talk the truth and just get this, get these points out there, and then to your, you're right, people are thinking, okay, I kept hearing about the world was gonna end and it was gonna end and it was gonna end and it just hasn't. And so th there's this thing that's happening, I think in people's minds, they've been convinced on a little bit of a level that, oh, maybe there's this climate change, but then you ask them what issues are they concerned about? It's like so low down the list, it's like laughable sometimes. And so what, how do you explain that dichotomy? Is this a, just virtue signaling by people who are like, yeah, no, I care about the climate. But in, in the back of their mind, they're like, I think these guys are lying to us. I'm not going to worry about this or whatever. What, what, what do you think the take, yeah, what's your a, take on that? It's a phenomenon. You could actually see it in the, the Trump effect. Remember, Trump always polled you know, much lower than he performed in elections. Uh, and it's because of that sort of shame. People were embarrassed, you know, because they knew the pollster and, and polite society. 
would not look kindly on that. Same with climate. If you don't say you're concerned about climate, something's wrong with you. So when a pollster would ask, if you would just say, do you believe in climate change, you'd have high numbers. If you would actually answer the question, are you really worried about it? And this is where Gallup polls since the 1980s, since the 1980s, late 1980s, that hasn't changed much in all the polling. So what's happened is just recently, and this is a shocking poll, you referenced, you know, and when you look at all issues, inflation, you know, debt, crime, and uh, healthcare, global warming is typically 19 out of 20, 14 out of 15, it's nine out of 10. It's always dead last among all these issues. But here's the shocker, April, 2022, Gallup poll, among environmental issues, water quality, air quality, deforestation, plant and animal species, extinction, global warming ranked dead last among environmental issues. That's the shocker. 30 years of climate propaganda, and it's still the least environmental concern among Americans. That's a shocker, but it's a testament to the intelligence of the American people. That's right. That's right. I always have confidence in that. Because if you, if you talk about it enough, the truth is going to come out, you know, and people, yeah. people can sniff it out. And, and it's, yeah, they just keep, it's just the constant alarmism that just, it just wears everybody out. That's for sure. But so I, th so I think we're winning that, uh, that, that battle overall because they're steadily eroding their credibility. However, there is this uh, concept that's, well, it's not a concept, it's a reality that they're stuffing all these environmental jobs into the government and the bureaucracies everywhere. So we're, we're losing that battle. What, what's your take on how that's shaking out and, you know, what, what do we need to do going forward besides, you know, uh, fire a bunch of people, uh, you know, that are in these right, government well, that, jobs? <laughs> this is the crux of everything right now, what you just said. We've won this, you know, climate skeptics and rational conservationists, I won't say we're environmentalists, but conservationists have won the environmental and climate debate. However, the other side never accepts defeat and they have the levers of power. They have the levers of our government bureaucracy, academia, the media, they have big foundations that fund all this. So how are they gonna deal with this? Well, it comes down, and that's the title, that's the topic of my next book, uh, The Great Reset, The Permanent Lockdown. The gist of it is this, when COVID came along in, in March of 2020 and they had the lockdowns, the left was at first jealous and then they were envious to the point where Jane Fonda actually said, COVID is God's gift to the left. And what did she mean by that? Well, all the same solution that the most radical extremes of the climate movement have been proposing, economic degrowth, planned recessions to fight global warming, a halting of all travel, radical, um, you know, just limits on every aspect of your life in order to lower your carbon footprint, literally happened overnight in every country, maybe except Sweden, uh, even in Florida it happened. I mean, remember the early lockdowns in the United States, you couldn't go to church, you couldn't leave your, you were under curfew in most states, uh, you had stay at home orders, but yeah, you could go into your local Walmart, no problem. Your corporate chains were open, the small mom and pops, particularly in the big cities, got destroyed. And estimates up to 60% of the restaurants in New York City got destroyed, the small mom and pops, that's great, because the, the, once they realized what happened, the progressives, the administrative state realized that if we can collapse the current system, we can then have a permanent crisis on our hands. And that is what the fantasy of these uh, essentially central planners has always been, a permanent crisis. So what happened was, and this was sad because a Republican president, Donald Trump, allowed and signed that emergency COVID declaration. It allowed governors to become dictators overnight. And all of these 
have then led to the climate movement latching on to the lockdown, saying if it's good for a virus, it's also good for the climate. We've been clamoring for this for decades, and now it's happening overnight. They opposed the Green New Deal through COVID lockdowns overnight. So fast forward, just this past week, Journal Nature and Bill Gates basically saying that unchecked climate change will lead to more COVID. Therefore, if you don't support the UN Paris Climate Agreement, if you don't support the Green New Deal, you are supporting more COVID, which will then be make you a grandma killer. And that's where they've come along as Biden imposes. There's no vote of the Green New Deal. This is so key. They introduced it in Congress and it went, died. Who, who cares? They don't want a congressional debate. They don't want town hall meetings. They don't want to hear from their constituents. They don't want committee hearings. They want to impose this through every agency. And this is the phrase from the Biden administration. Every agency is a cabinet agency. It's not just as executive orders, which have been unprecedented on energy, but it's also the Treasury Department defunding all of the fossil fuel energy projects. It's also all of his spending bills, all of his Build Back Better. Every regulation of the U.S. government is hammering fossil fuels and also the, the, the uh, supply chain issue, inflation, debt. They're trying to collapse a current system, baby formula shortages, food shortages, price of meat through the roof, gas through the roof. Everything I just mentioned brings a smile to the face of climate activists because this is what they want. They want to keep gasoline in the ground. They want to get rid of the internal combustion engine. They want you to stop eating meat. They want thermostats on your home, control of it. They want economic degrowth, which is what we've had. So what I'm telling you is this has been their fantasy and dream. COVID made it happen. And now they want to attach COVID to climate so that it'll be a permanent part of the permanent crisis. And here's the last thing I'll say, House Democrats, in, in the Senate, including Chuck Schumer, are urging Joe Biden to now declare a national climate emergency. If this is so done, this will give the executive branch, governors, bureaucrats, even more power to control how much we fly, how much we drive. And make no mistake, the UK Transport Secretary, academic reports, uh, International Energy Agency, all basically calling for not just rationing of vehicles, odd even days, no driving in cities, but they are calling for the end, the abolishment of private vehicle ownership, that it's not necessary. We had one, Andrew Yang, who ran for the Democrat nomination, wanted to abolish private car ownership and replace it with roving fleets of rental electric cars you just order up as needed. And this is what we're facing now. This is the greatest threat we face to our liberty, is this disappearance of democracy and moving the climate and the COVID agenda into the bureaucracy away from our elected officials, because now it's being imposed without most people being aware it's happening. And do you see back to the political side of this, because, you know, somebody's got to stand up to this. How are, are there any signs of hope amongst Republicans, amongst rec conservatives that are actually out there, you know, legislatively trying to stand up I mean, to this in few, any way? <laughs> good question. There's a few. Yeah, I like Rand Paul. I like what Ted Cruz does. I like Chip Roy. I like a couple of House members who stand up. But generally, they miss it. I mean, here's the yeah. way you would fight this. The Republicans, it's the opposite. With the leadership, you have like people like Kevin McCarthy and Scalise of the House GOP leadership. And these, if we win our big midterm, they're going to be running the Republican Party in Washington. They're all about Green New Deal light, climate, we need, climate's a problem, we need a solution. In a million years, they're not going to challenge anything I just said. They're, it's, mm -hmm. it's weak, right. milk toast nonsense. Now, having said that, the way forward on this for to fight this 
Couple different things. Mask resistance. How did we end mask mandates in school? How did we end the vax mandates in the North? These big Democrat cities, they seem to drop overnight. It all began, I shouldn't say it all began, but it all, the lightning point was in Loudoun County, Virginia, with the parents protesting the mask mandates and the uh, CRT and all the, the stuff coming out, the critical race, the critical race training to the children. That led to a Republican winning in Virginia, which shocked everyone for the governorship. The Democrat, Phil Murphy, in New Jersey governor, almost lost. That shocked them doubly. That was even more shocking than the win of Virginia, that this that most deepest of blue states almost elected a no-name Republican with no money. So they did some focus group polling, the Democrat Party, and they found that among their Democratic base, they didn't want, they wanted to return to normal, no more masks, no more kids, no more vax mandates, no more lockdowns. Within, and this was as reported by the New York Times, it's in my book. Within two weeks of that, every major Democrat-controlled city and state dropped the mask mandates for schools, they dropped the vax passports, the mandates, all of it. It was amazing. Resistance is what led to it. And I like to say the way forward is to look at 1989, Berlin, East Berlin. What happened there? We didn't rely on you know, the conservative elements of the East German government. The East German government didn't vote to tear down the wall because the people have had that 40 years of repression of Soviet domination. That's enough. Let's let the people be free. That wall came down in 1989 in Berlin because the people of East Berlin and East Germany no longer gave their consent to live under tyranny. And that is ultimately the way forward. We can't rely on political uh, you know, losers like you know, everyone from, from Kevin McCarthy to uh, Mitch McConnell, et cetera, uh, to save us. We've got a mass resistance, and that's the way forward. And you have to just bypass this, the, the establishment in every way possible. And now it's local. Go after your school boards. Go after uh, in your state houses. We can't ever allow local public health dictators to, to just you know, rule on a whim. But this is what they want to do. And if they can tie climate now to public health, which, by the way, is very important. Doctor last year diagnosed the first patient as suffering from climate change. A lady had heat stroke. This was happened in Canada, and the head of the emergency room at a major hospital in Canada. In Australia, academics are urging to add climate change as a cause of death to death certificates. And, this, and Bill Gates has said the death toll from climate will be much larger than anything from COVID. So if they can make climate a public health issue, just think of the latitude that we've had with the Fauci and public health. And here's the thing, I'll, I'll end on a very scary note. The World Health Organization and Bill Gates are going to team up and have what's called, even the Washington Post called a radical pandemic treaty. The word radical came in the Washington Post headline. And the gist of this is experts paid by Bill Gates, who, by the way, Bill Gates has praised Australia as the best COVID response of every single country. Uh, you know, it's literally was China light. It was the most repressive military response, quarantines, lockdowns, uh, vax mandates. It was like an island prison. It returned to its roots. That's who Bill Gates likes. So Bill Gates wants a pandemic treaty with his experts who could declare a pandemic and literally have instant global lockdown without any outliers like Sweden or Florida next time. And they'll have control of information. They've talked openly about shutting down the, the internet globally in order to prevent misinformation. Be afraid, be very afraid of this pandemic treaty and climate will be part of that. Remember, climate change now is a public health threat. You can be diagnosed with it, it can be on your death certificate. And uh, you know, if you don't take care of it, will lead to more COVID. So you're a grandma killer if you don't support carbon taxes. Wow, that is terrifying. 
Uh, but it's better to know where they're up to than to, uh, <laughs> you know, fall for it. And you're absolutely right, that mass resistance on that, you know, that's the great thing about the size of our country. And we're still center-right yes. across the country, and people are very nice and tolerant on some level. Yes. But somewhere in here, because we're not Australia, we're not an island, we're not England, we're not – it's, a, it's hard to contain. It's hard to control. And we just have to keep standing up for sure. And, uh, and, and if we don't, it's, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Well, hey, Mark, uh, appreciate your bravery. Love the sound of the new book. Uh, wh when did you say it's coming out? It comes out at the end of August. It was supposed to be out six months ago, but because of the supply chain issues, the oh. winter was all backed up. So we had to wait. I was, you know, One more anyway. thing. Right. One more thing. Yeah. Another crisis. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. All well, set by Mark Morano. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll talk, we'll bring you back on, talk about that as well. I encourage all the viewers to get that too. But again, thanks for your courage and your bravery on all this. And I, and I hope that more people are listening to you. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and for supporting conservative media. Don't forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's First Right, all caps, one word, to 30161.